Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Yes, what if? What if the Lord's mercies come to us disguised in the form of pains and afflictions? What if, <clears throat> what if healing comes through tears? It's oftentimes when we encounter difficult difficulties that we wonder about this whole thing about faith. When hardships strike us, we, we wonder if there is a God at all. And yet those are occasions when God shines through and the Lord's redemptive work becomes most evident in the depths of our hearts. And I, I, uh, I so appreciate that, Julianne, thank you. And um, it's also appropriate, I wanna share with you a, a rather stunning uh, prayer request this morning. And we, we have to encourage one another through, through harsh and difficult times. Uh, but Nancy Thomas called some dear friends, Bill and Amy McDivitt. Uh, Bill has some very harsh health issues that he's been struggling with, with several, several uh, surgeries as well as cancer. And, and then uh, just this past week learned that her daughter, their daughter Amy and, his, and, and her sweetheart Dan living up in Atlanta, were both attacked in their homes and, and murdered. Um, one, one would think that, I mean, this, we're just human. When these things hit us, we, we cry out in our hearts, you know, where is God? Why, didn't, why did he allow such a thing? How can this be? And whether it comes to us in harsh and sharp circumstances such as this, or in the more mundane, or we just are struggling in our hearts with our faith. The, the reality is, as that song so aptly put it, this, this really is not our home. This is, we're on our way to our, our home, the home that our Lord has prepared for us. Maybe then we'll understand. But in, in the here and now, for now, we just, we don't. We don't understand. And we, we embrace that, that lack of understanding with the hope that one day it will all be made clear to us. And that one day will be in our Lord's timing. Until then, we pray. We uphold one another. We encourage one another. And we... We show our love for one another because we all go through it. Let's bow together. Our Father, the real question of why was displayed before the world when your son hung on the cross. And there was no answer other than the redemptive work that it accomplished on our behalf. 
And yet even there, Lord, some, some of us don't think we need redeeming. Some of us think that we're just fine. Some of us think that this world is better if we turn our backs and go the other way from anything that is even remotely religious. And yet, Lord, such pride comes to a quick end when we come face to face with reality, when the mortality of our lives rises up before us in full view of our own hearts. Lord, we, we pray for this dear couple, for Bill and Amy McDivitt. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would be a special comfort to them, even as they go and retrieve the ashes of their daughter. Lord God, we have no equipment in ourselves. We have nothing that prepares us. We have only, but we have supremely, your promise, your love, and the hope that comes because you came to us. You took on human flesh. You endured all that we go through in this life and more. And so, Lord, somehow we understand the redemptive love that you have demonstrated to all flesh, not by conquering, but by, by being conquered. And in that is the final victory won. And Lord, we, we affirm these things, we say these things, but we don't get it. And so instead, we, we continue to hope and we pray. We continue to stand alongside each other and lend encouragement. We also pray, dear Lord, that at this, this season in which we celebrate your coming to us, this this great cosmic eruption, this reality that we can barely comprehend. For the God who made all of this and the God who made us, the God who breathed into us the breath of life would come and become one of us. Lord God, may that be the source of great rejoicing in our hearts. May we find in him the the fulfillment of the deep longings of our souls and, and thereby share the love that you have first shown to us with, with one another and with others. And by our countenance, by our, our touch with one another, by our, our joy and our humility toward others, Lord God, may they know that there is indeed a, re a Redeemer who has come to us who has entered the gates of Zion, entered the gates of our hearts, and he is here to save. So Lord, hear us even now as we pray, as he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, 
and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And we bring to the Lord our God the tithes and offerings of our lives. Now, O oh Lord, may your Son take up residence in our hearts and lives, and may we live for him. Teach us according to your truth through your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, Thursday night, I promised I would never eat again. After all that Thanksgiving dinner, then here comes pecan pie with ice cream on it. And, uh, you know, it's just, and now enough leftovers to last till next year. <laughs> and then yesterday, my son and his family were here and uh, down from Jacksonville Beach area. And it was so good to see them. And, and we had a, a wonderful time together, went up to Congo River golf, miniature golf, and then went down to the beach off of Naples Grand and then went over to my house and we had dinner together. It was, it was just fun, just dumb fun. 
And uh, so it was, uh, I'm hoping that if you did not get time with family, that you got time with friends. And thank you to uh, Gloria and her husband uh, for uh, celebrating with a number of people who, from our church who were there, about 25 or so people, 25, 30 people. And they also had too much to eat over there, I understand. So <laughs> it was really a, a, a great day. And, um, and then this morning I got up, it was like 53 degrees, something like that. Tell those people up north, they, they ain't know nothing about cold up there. You know? <laughs> so it was just a wonderful weekend. And, and this morning, of course, we start the Advent season, first Sunday of Advent. And uh, with this, I'm going to read a passage that everyone is ordinarily skipping over. And those are the, the begats. The, the, the story of so-and-so, you know, begat so-and-so and begat so-and-so. Anytime I talk to somebody who's tried to read the Bible, they say, well, then I come to the, the begats, and I don't, I don't know what to make of them. So I just skip over. We're not skipping over it this morning. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from Matthew, as he speaks of the new generation, the new beginning in Christ. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of, of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab, Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon, and Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asa also the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Yotham. Yotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Ammon. Ammon was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jehoiakim and his brothers born at the time in exile. After the, Babylonian after the Babylonian exile, Jehoiakim was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abiud. Abiud was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Akim. Akim was the father of Eliud. Eliud was the father of Eliezer. Eliezer was the father of Mathan. Mathan was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who was called the Messiah. All those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. May God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. So the 
Beatitudes, pardon me, the, the begats, the, the genealogies, they, they were to establish one's legitimacy. They were intended to, well, it's a little like, a little like Ancestry.com. You, you want to know what your background is. You want to know where you're from. But even more than that, it established one's purity, one's for the Jews, it was about racial purity as Jews. And, and it was also used as a way to try to not just legitimize oneself, but to, to elevate oneself in the eyes of others that, that they lived with. So Herod, this evil Herod, who we hear about at the, at, during the Christmas season, went back and tried to clean up his genealogy. He tried to demonstrate through his genealogy that he really was a purebred, a purebred king of Israel. And so it was not at all, it was not at all a, a, a strange thing that people would derive their sense of identity by their ancestry, defined by who they were descended from. Now, all times and all places go through different sorts of definitions. What defines us as a person? Here it is their background, their ancestry. We've, we know of that as, a, as a, a defining characteristic for so many. After church last week, I was told by one of our members that she was a descendant of those who are on the Mayflower, kind of a rare breed. And she told me, not as a way of puffing up herself, but just as a, as a point of information. But there was a time when that was a means of pride, a means of demonstrating how important they were, but not anymore. Now it's just an interesting piece of information. Now we define ourselves differently. We're defining ourselves through various... Um, <clears throat> various media of understanding our background and also our current present identity. And we, we all know about that. We hear about identity politics all the time. So it's, it's not at all foreign to our experience to, to try to identify how it is that we got where we are and who it is that we are. It's common. And in this case, Matthew I believe is trying to demonstrate that the identity of Jesus, the identity of Jesus gives him accessibility to all people no matter their identity, no matter their background, no matter what strain they came through. And what's fascinating also about this is that Matthew, who is writing primarily to a Jewish audience, is trying to demonstrate also that this is the expected Messiah. And so he identifies this, this 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the Babylonian exile, 14 generations from the exile to the Christ. And in all likelihood, he is drawing upon 
a passage out of the book of Daniel that says this, a period of 70 sets of seven, that's 490 years, or seven sets of generations, decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the holy, the most holy place. So the establishment of the messianic reign is, I believe here, interpreted by Matthew to be consummated in the arrival of Christ through a, a historical process, through a historical process that nevertheless includes all kinds of bad people, sinful people, that the providence of God doesn't require a genetic or racial or even behavioral purity to be the background of the Messiah. And so this particular genealogy includes the names of five women. Genealogies didn't include women. They skipped over that. They just went from guy to son, from man to father to son, father to son, father to son. But here we, we pause, we stumble, because first we have we have Tamar. Now, I'm not assuming anyone knows the story of Tamar, but Tamar's husband died. And the way it was supposed to be that, was that her, she had no children, so her husband's brother was supposed to have relations with her and thereby have children and therefore enter into the inheritance. Well, her two, his two brothers, the dead man's two brothers, didn't, didn't come through, and so she posed to be a prostitute and seduced her stepfather. And by that action, became pregnant, and that's one of the ancestors of Jesus. And this woman um, is included in the genealogy of Jesus. And then we have Rahab. You may know the story of Rahab. So the, the people of God are on the other side of the Jordan River. They've come, out of, they've come out of Egypt. They're making their way across. They're going to go into Jericho. Rahab was a prostitute, and she sheltered some of the Israelite spies who came into Jericho to case the place. And so she is referenced as a hero of the faith, and it's believed that she became the wife of Joshua. So she's mentioned. So a woman who posed as a prostitute, then a woman who was a prostitute, and then we, then we have Ruth. Ruth married Boaz in an act that was rather aggressive on the part of a woman. And her, her mother Naomi, uh, mother-in-law I should say Naomi, said that she should go to Boaz, who was a wealthy landowner, while he was sleeping, and to lay down next to him and cover, uncover his feet. Now, in Hebrew, they, they use such words to go over the heads of children. So the term feet is a, a euphemism. So, so Ruth 
Ruth acts rather aggressively. And then we have, of course, the wife of Uriah. She's not even named. The wife of Uriah, and we know that story. That's David, who sees Bathsheba on a beautiful Mediterranean evening when the guys are off to war, and he's got the pick of the whole community, and she, he sees her taking a, a bathing on her rooftop. And one thing leads to another, and, um, well, you know the story. And she is referenced. And then we come right down to Jesus' mother, Mary, who's referenced. Five women, and Mary, as you know, um, gave birth to Jesus, and it was believed, well, it was the case that she was conceived out of wedlock, and, and, um, and there was some chatter in the community about this. There was some talk. And there are some references in the scriptures that kind of point backwards to the somewhat scandalous nature of the birth of Jesus. There's one instance where they say, well, isn't this <clears throat> Joseph's son? Yeah, right. This is Joseph's son. So Jesus and Matthew, through the, the telling of these stories, brings in these realities. All four of those Old Testament women were also outsiders. They were not Jews. They were one form or another Gentiles. So Jesus did not have a, a pure racial line, nor did he have a pure line of good behavior in his background. Instead, he had a background and a line that was just like everyone else's just like yours and mine, just like everyone's background. And so, so Jesus comes to us as one who, though he is God's son, and though he is fathered by the Father, he comes to us with the fullness of humanity, fully human. We have here... In, in a rather cryptic manner presented us the reality of the full humanity of Jesus, even as he's presented with his full divinity. Jesus was not half God and half man. He was fully God and fully human. And so Matthew makes this, this point. He, he is already beginning to give us a sense of the, the identity of Jesus, the fullness of who he is before us. And it kind of presses us to understand what is the source of our identity? And I, I joke with my brother, he's, so I'm 6'6", six, six, he's 6'5". Six, we both joke about how we have suffered discrimination because we're tall. So we're going to be identifying as short people from now on. <laughs> Doesn't work. We have identities given to us that we have received. And, and even more, what is encased within this story, as Matthew begins the story of the birth of Jesus, is that we can all have in him a new identity. 
In other words, that racial identity of being purely Jewish really doesn't matter at all. That racial identity of maybe being mixed in with some Gentile blood along the way really doesn't matter at all. It is of no consequence. The fact that we had someone in our background that misbehaved doesn't matter at all. There was some talk in the Anderson tribe about one of the, one of the Anderson men who was visiting down in Spain, down from Sweden. I don't know what he's doing in Spain when he's from Sweden. But he was down there and it was, there was talk, talk. And this is like 150 years later I'm hearing this stuff. <laughs> that he had had an affair with a Moroccan woman. Well, it doesn't matter at all. It has no bearing, no consequence. Because our identity is not rooted or based in our racial background, nor in our behavioral background. We are new in Christ, a new identity in and through him. And it doesn't matter how we come into this world or what is our current place. You know, I'd like to identify as a 24-year-old again. I've been fighting some hip stuff now after all my many years of playing basketball on hard asphalt but I can instead embrace the reality of who I am in Christ, a new creature in him, made new. And there is no point at which I can't be made new. I was heartened to hear about our dear brother Leo and how in the fullness of years, it seems that he was made new, that he had a new identity. He was not much of a churchman all of his life, but somehow, by the power of God, and I still have that image in my mind, that clear image of speaking the Lord's Prayer to him just three days before he passed, and seeing his lips move ever so slightly. A new identity that is ours in Christ. It really doesn't matter what anyone in our past has done. It really doesn't matter what you or I have done. We can be made new in Christ every single day. And that's the joy of, of this story. That's the core reality of this, this genealogy, this boring part of the Bible. And that is we, we find our, our true identity when we find our relationship with God in Christ. And we allow his love and his redeeming care and his forgiveness to give us a whole new beginning, a whole new identity. Will you join me in prayer? Father made new in you, 
Lord, all of those men and those women in that genealogy needed you. They were defined by you, not by their background or anything that was to follow them. How horrific their sin, it didn't matter. But that they were loved by you and that you, through them, decreed that your son might come to this earth. Lord God, we, we acknowledge that we are made into a future that you have prepared for us. And we thank you, O Lord, for our new identity in your son. We pray in his name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.